as awful as that situation was, it led to me being brave enough to say, I'm worthy of better than this. (laughs) And that sounds incredible, but it's the truth. We are back today with our guest, Vicki Bowen-Hughes. Vicki Bowen-Hughes is an inspired servant leader who believes in the power of people working together for the greater good. She is the CEO, Chief Empowerment Officer of Social Ventures, an organization that advocates for businesses advancing solutions to social problems in our community. Vicki built a successful career in the field of mixed-use real estate with a publicly held REIT prior to taking a leap and launching Dress for Success Columbus. Recognized as a top five global affiliate of the worldwide organization, she created a movement that empowers women to achieve economic independence and thrive and work and in life. After passing the baton and working with affiliates across the country to sustain and scale, she founded the social enterprise Fashion Forward, now being piloted by The Real Real. An avid champion of diversity and advocate for racial equity, Vicki is proud to serve as a task force co-chair of Breathe. Vicki, thank you for taking some time to join me on the Gravity Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So let's um, start all the way at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about kind of you in the early days and kind of what might be helpful for the audience to hear about your kind of uh, upbringing, your family, where you're from, anything that seems to be really relevant about those early days. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So good, bad, or indifferent, go Steelers. And really had... I'm a Browns oh. fan, so it's, 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 <laughs> it's not even indifferent. <laughs> uh, that was a, was a good game. Tough game this past weekend. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> really had a great Midwestern childhood. My family is has kind of a a non-traditional, I guess you would say, we have a non-traditional nuclear family. My dad grew up in poverty because of his dad's alcoholism. And from an early, he had to start working and providing for his family at the age of 17. So by the time he and my mom got married and they had kids, I was their first child. It was really instilled in me the importance of taking care of your family and taking care of others around you. So although we had a a life that was comfortable, it was many times uncomfortable because we knew how hard my dad worked to provide for us so that we wouldn't have the same experiences that he did. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I I have this, I'm really rooted in agape love, mm. which is, you know, just love of people because of their humanity. It's not a romantic love. It's not a, you know, a fantastical love. It's really just love of 
of people because of their their shared experience and their individuality and understanding that we're all we all have um, different perspectives and in, in different places that we came from and there's a lot to learn mm. um, well, let me just jump a, in there yeah. for a second yeah. um, I, I definitely can talk to you about the agape piece and um, mm. uh, Jim Grody is uh, mm. a big uh, agape capitalism uh, fan and was on the podcast and um, we've spent a lot of time talking about it. So we can yeah. get into that here in a little bit. But I want to go back, you know, you had said kind of the uh, experience of mm-hmm. seeing your dad work really hard mm-hmm. and wanting to make sure that, you know, the life he provided for his family was different than the life that he had. Do you have memories of what that was like? I mean, it, it, you know, it's certainly easy as adults to kind of sit back and reflect and kind of see things through that lens of, you know, our parents and what they were doing at the time. But mm-hmm. when you were a kid, what, what does it mean that you were uncomfortable or that it was uncomfortable at times seeing him work that hard? Tell me a little bit more about what that was really like as a kid and, and for your family. Well, growing up in Pittsburgh, I grew up in a, a suburb named Thornburg. And um, I would liken it to Bexley. My dad was a, a construction worker. He was a crane operator. Most of our neighbors were doctors and lawyers. My dad was the only one in the community that, that drove a pickup truck. And so it was, he worked incredibly hard to provide for us. And it was, interesting just going over to you know friends homes and and seeing their their parents coming back from you know very white collar jobs and then seeing my dad come home in work clothes because he had been on a derailment for three days and uh, pouring soybeans out of his work boots and having just come back from like the club right Mm-hmm. So he, it gave him great joy for us to be coming back from swimming at a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was, was not always easy to just feel super comfortable in that. And I, I feel that as an adult, that was an incredible, it was an incredible gift that helped me understand value systems from a materialistic way, right? And and how when you don't have things, how important it is in our society to have those material things. And is that really what our life is all about? Mm-hmm. And and when you say that, you know, you have found kind of agape love mm-hmm. and that's who you are. What was it like when you were a kid? I mean, tell me a little mm-hmm. bit more. I, I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong, that that wasn't something that was um, understood or introduced, you know, at right. an early age that you've arrived right. at. So, like, right. were you naturally a loving child, and and was this kind <laughs> of who you were, or is this something that you've kind of developed over time? It's for sure developed over time. I started the first grade when I was five. And that's kind of about because of where my birthday hit. 
And in that, I always felt like I was catching up. So I always felt as if I had to kind of be ahead of where I really was. Does that make sense? Like I Mm -hmm. always felt like I was trying to catch up with that. So in that, I never... I didn't feel for a very long time that I understood my individual value because I was continually trying to catch up. So in in that, I really looked outward to other people to help define my own value system and my own sense of self, where later I realized that the more that I... When I love myself, I can love other people more deeply and Mm. more authentically. Mm. And making those mistakes as a young person, those are... Everybody goes through different developmental stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And so let's talk a little bit about kind of you as you start to go through your you know teenage years or anything yeah. in that time period you know where you are going outward i mean i think you're right mm-hmm. this is kind of the work and you know what most people do depending on you know um, a variety of factors i guess but sometimes people do it their whole lives you know you've yeah. um, caught yourself along the way but um, what was it like you know kind of um, or anything else that was really relevant mm-hmm. about kind of who you were at that time? Well, as a, as a younger person, you know, my dad took us out to job sites pretty early mm-hmm. uh, because he wanted us to understand that every single person, no matter what job they had or where they came from, they all had equal value. And that was instilled in us at, again, a really young age to meet people where they are, not to uh, not to make judgments about how somebody looked externally or where they lived or the kind of car that they drove. But as a kid, you know, by the time I hit middle school, you you and you're trying to develop and and kind of figure out who you are. I wound up getting bullied really badly. The kids in school knew that I came from a different neighborhood. It was important to my parents that we went to a public school, not the private school. So I wound up in a really diverse setting where uh, I got bullied really in, in every single day. I mean, the my I didn't have I don't think I had lunch money for all of seventh and eighth grade. So that was really tough. And I, again, just kind of kept trying to figure out, you know, where do I fit in? Like where I had friends, but you're, you're trying to figure out why am I getting bullied and, and what, what's, what is it about me that has a target on me? And when, when you're trying to figure that out as a kid and figure out who you are, those kinds of situations can can really start putting you in in unsafe situations where you're mm-hmm. trying to trying to make friends and find a tribe that you are listed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think this is really um, a 
pervasive problem, you know, and it's got this kind of layering to it where you don't know who you are and you're trying to, you know, find what makes you feel good and you don't have the skills to do that because you're a child. And even if you have a really loving household, you still might not actually, you know, choose to do the things that, you know, maybe would be ultimately best, right? Because again, right. you're just trying to figure it out. You're a kid. Right. These are things you don't inherently maybe know how to do. And yet then it kind of leads into a almost societal kind of, you know, struggle where everybody's kind of bumping into each other trying to figure this out. And you said find your tribe. I think that's like really been the thing that I continue to learn even as an adult you know who is it that you want to spend your time around and 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 you know where do you actually get kind of the the energy that you need and long for and connect to and that 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 elevates you and energizes you doing what and with who i mean these are things that i think you 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 kind of for me at least you know continue to explore way into adulthood so as as you know, kids, this is really, really hard. And it leads to things like bullying. You know, it can lead to real traumatic experiences. It's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. And through that whole time, I really struggled with finding my identity and really it pushed my sense of self down to a really low point. Where outwardly, if you would have met me, you would have thought, oh gosh, this is a, you know, this is a regular, happy teenage girl. Where inside I was very confused and really trying to make friends with everybody because I didn't have, I was looking for my own my own compass outside of myself and not trusting my intuition. And that's a, it's a hard thing to finally acquiesce to, okay, you know, I'm an individual human and I've been made this way for some reason. <laughs> so let's lead into that. But that takes a lot of time to have that confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And you know the the identity struggle again i mean i think for a lot of young people that's if you're even like remotely aware that you're struggling to find your identity you're probably way ahead of the game most people just are kind of unconsciously running around doing things that they think looks good or is yeah. important yeah. that's really not so that's a real struggle uh and and tell me a little bit about kind of how you start to find your identity. When does that start to come in? Is it much later in life? Or is this process that you're going through at that point helping you find yourself? I, I think I still am looking, right? Yeah, I sure. mean, it's a continual evolution. Mm-hmm. And, and then as soon as you think, oh, okay, this is it, right? Then it's like, okay, well, I mean, I think I'm ready to evolve into next. My first serious boyfriend wound up being the relationship was very abusive. So, you know, on top of the bullying, then having an abusive first serious relationship, I. You were how old at the time? 17. Okay. 17. And I graduated high school when I was 17. 
went to went to school and uh, got an associate's degree. And through that time, I had a a real kind of watershed moment. I was living in a dorm with a roommate, and um, boyfriend was physically abusive on a on a daily basis, and. One day he was in our dorm. My roommate wasn't there, and he he punched a hole in the wall through her Mario Lemieux poster. Which again, I'm from Pittsburgh, so Mary Lemieux was a Pittsburgh Penguin. And my roommate came back and she said, "What's this?" And I told her I had had a temper tantrum and I punched a hole through it. She's like, "Vicky, you don't. This is not something that you do." Mm-hmm. And I broke down and and told her and that was the first time that I actually embraced like okay I'm just going to have to be authentic and real and say what's actually going on because I realized that my life was likely at risk and if I if I wanted to evolve past this if I really wanted to get out of this I was going to have to start being honest with myself and other people and it was through that that as awful as that situation was it led to me being brave enough to say, I'm worthy of better than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sounds incredible, but it's, it's the truth. So mm-hmm. from there, really being able to set boundaries for myself on you know, what I was worthy of and, and how... I needed again, I needed to love myself and believe myself, believe in myself first before anybody else could. Mm-hmm. And then where does my intuition lead me? Where am I naturally good at things? How am I how how can I really help people in this world while I'm helping myself? And that's that was the beginning. And it's still true to this day, right? Mm-hmm. Continually try to evolve. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, thank you for sharing, first of all, you know, the bullying and the abuse. I mean, these are really serious and traumatic experiences. And, you know, you kind of described your worthiness and and kind of, you know, drawing boundaries. But I'm wondering, you know, if it was really that kind of smooth, like, you know, uh, most people have a hard time getting out of an abusive relationship and don't really get to I'm better than this uh, quickly. For you, was there some kind of real like strength in there that you just had access to to be able to quickly realize this is not, you know, for you, that you you deserve better? Or was it a, a hard, clunky time sensitive or, con- or time um, in- intensive process to do that? I think both and, mm-hmm. right? I think that I realized, and here's the crazy thing. If he hadn't have punched that hole in that wall of my roommate's Mario Lamo poster, mm-hmm. I felt worse about her poster being damaged than I felt about my own experience. So that was a real just awakening for me in that how how am i putting this poster in front of how how i deem myself so it was that was a pretty immediate okay this 
I'm, I have got to really get help and evolve from here. And it was also a, a long journey to, and it was an interesting time, right? I mean, I, this was in the 80s. So, you know, as I started going into a professional career and working, women had an interesting, you know, it was interesting for women where you were either the girl that was on the cover of Cosmo magazine, or you were the girl that wore the big shoulders and had more of an androgynous approach, right? So it was figuring out, you know, where do I fit in in the professional world and how do I value myself in a way that really helps me project confidence that I'm still learning and growing into, but that also I knew I wanted to be able to achieve things and use my life for for good and for productivity. So coming through all of that, it was a continual, you know, continual navigating. But the immediate was, yeah, I need to, I I'm I am better than this and I need to move forward. Yeah. I mean it's it's not something that I wanna like confuse with being good, right? That like some somebody was abusive and did something is you know, obvious uh, as punching a hole in the wall, especially a Mario Lemieux, Lemieux uh, poster. I'm sure for um, teenage girls, that was really quite the cherished uh, treasure. There, Mario Lemieux was was hot stuff back in the day. <laughs> but um, uh, not to make light of it at all. I mean, you know, that's like obviously something you never want to happen and should never happen. And sometimes it does seem like the intense, the intensity of it really is got some potential benefit to it. That it's like, it's not like a subtle thing that you can live with. It, it's like so loud and obvious that it does shake you to the point where you're like, if you're lucky, I can't do this anymore. This is not for me. It's so obvious. I can't hide it. I can't deal with it. I can't live with it. Now, I mean, that's not true for a lot of people. A lot of people stay in really horrible situations. But in your case, it seems like the fact that it was so intense did really give you almost uh, an opportunity to wake up a bit and shift. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say a lot of my work as an adult and working with women and people who are in abusive relationships and feeling very trapped and being scared. I mean, the, the, the terrified feeling abusers usually, in my case, um, it was, you know, I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to kill your family. So you know, that piece of it, when people are told that, they wind up staying for all the terrifying reasons. And sadly, many times these abusers do make good on those awful situations. So having the strength to move forward is absolutely critical. And having a support system around you is really critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk a little bit about how you then start to move forward, because um, I do want to talk about your career and the work that you're doing. I think this is all 
very uh, intertwined. So maybe talk a little bit about then, you know, what happens? You're starting to really find yourself. You're making kind of choices even about, you know, how you look. Um, I mean, this is the process, right? This is the journey and you're on it. And these are real things, you know, uh, how do you dress and how do you identify yourself? And, uh, you know, I, I think again, you know, like you said, still doing this, right? We're still doing mm-hmm. this. And and yeah. I've kind of started to learn to embrace that and and also say it out loud, you know, that still mm-hmm. trying to find myself. And, um, you know, I, I talk about like the, how we dress as an example, because when I started my business, I had come from a corporate background and the idea that I could wear jeans to work was like so freeing, you know. Now I'm <laughs> now I usually don't get out of my sweatpants, you know. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, just talk a little bit about kind of what happens next for you as you're starting to go through the experience of really, you know, finding yourself at that stage, and and yeah. what maybe you're starting to do with your career. Sure. I was enthusiastic to leave Pittsburgh for a multitude of reasons and moved to Atlanta. And the first job that I had was leasing apartments in Atlanta. So then I really built a career, a career in multifamily and mixed use real estate. But having an Did you happen to work for um, post? I didn't, but I lived (laughs) in a post community. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I, when I was first game. getting started, I would go to Atlanta because yeah. Atlanta was like the hotbed for multifamily and yes. Post was like the king of... So I just thought I would take a yes. guess at it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was... But it was a great... It was... I have always really loved people and just really loved people and loved diversity. So that for me, having an opportunity to help people find their home was super special. And most of um, the people that I was working with in the communities that I was working in were my age. So it made it super relatable. And I wound up, even though it was not... you know, I answered an ad in um, the Atlanta Journal, Atlanta Constitution Journal for a leasing agent, right? I just thought, oh, well, this looks good. I'll, I'll... give this a try. And I wound up loving it and loving the people that I worked with, loved helping people find their homes, loved just the community nature of the work that I got to do every day. And really started... I started realizing that I think in school, it's so subject-oriented. And I was never really good at math. I was never really good at history. I was never really, you know, I'm never really great at any of those, any of those pursuits, but I always really loved people. <laughs> so that was where I, I, I started realizing, you know, the gifts that I have are really in helping, helping people be comfortable and helping leaning into what I really love, which is being around people and helping them have a a great place to live at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, you know, you mentioned this kind of like subject-based education. And I actually was just thinking about this today. It's funny you mention it because I was, um, I'm the recipient of an award at the high school that I went to, which I've been kind of... Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's, It's really kind of funny because... 
I was such a lousy student. And not just a lousy student, but I was like a real like hellraiser. And so like, you know, the fact that I'm being, you know, honored for anything there is makes me laugh. But you know, what I was thinking about, um, because I have to share some thoughts with the um, kids, is that um, exactly what you just said. You know, when I think back on the positive experiences I had academically, there were a few. There were, yeah. there were, and they were literally were like a few and, and, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. know, my entire elementary, middle school, high school experiences. And yeah. each one of those would have been kind of experiences that weren't really subject matter or mm-hmm. the subjects were actually ones that were not well, high regarded, you know, art, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. speech, yeah. you know, yeah. I had a fifth yeah. grade teacher who taught us uh-huh. about some morals and values that and and it actually just like showed me what it meant to be loving you know these were mm-hmm. things that today i actually use yeah. in my career yeah. right yeah. but it took yeah. me you know decades to realize that there was like real value in those things in even yeah. the business community yeah. you know and that i could do them and i could be good at them and i could love them and i could make yeah. money doing them but we yeah. don't teach that it's fascinating you know um yeah. it, we do teach subjects and and a right. lot of people are not only not wired for those subjects we don't need everybody to do those things yeah yeah no it's i think it's it's really upside down and you know i i can't remember which I think it was a comedian I I was reading recently that said, I can tell you now, you will not use algebra in real life, right? And I mean, I struggled, you know, we had to take algebra and I struggled through it. And I never, I I just really was just never good at at math and, and all of those things, the way that it, the, our education system is structured in the United States is all around those types of pursuits that don't necessarily equip you for a high EQ, right? And having the ability to connect with people, if we're not able to do that, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yep. No question about it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about then, you know, what you start to get into, you know, next, you know, professionally and kind of how your, your career really starts to move forward. Sure. Um, so I was had a, a lot of energy and enthusiasm for, for the work that I did. And anytime there was an, an opportunity as the companies that I was working for were growing, whether it was, you know, we're opening, we're opening a new building in California or we've acquired, you know, some new properties in Florida, I always raised my hand, like, oh, I'll go, I'll go. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me find my sense of what I felt really good doing. And I had achieved professional success. So I started to develop a sense of confidence in what I was good at and how I could achieve it in a way that I honestly hadn't even, it didn't even realize that that was an option. You know, it's kind of like you become an accountant or you become an attorney or you become, you know, it's all these siloed things that we, that I, I felt were my options. And 
having a more creative approach to things and diving into things in a different kind of way really helped me. And I, I started to, once I started achieving professional success, you know, it goes hand in hand. Then you start mm-hmm. feeling as if, okay, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of myself now. I'm also seeing friends who are just then graduating from four and six year degrees who were kind of trying to figure out their way in the workplace and felt really confident about what I was achieving and went on to help a lot of different, both friends and colleagues. When you don't have a when when you don't have a fear of failure, I, because I've failed a bunch of times in my life, I'm still going to fail. Like I'm going to fail. I probably will fail this conversation, right? But when you just go into it with, "Hey, I'm going to give it my best shot," and I believe that you know this is a a great thing to try, you learn so much. And so maybe you haven't achieved at that specific whatever it was that you were trying to, whatever it was you were trying to do, but you learn so much. So having, having the opportunity to, to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this my best shot. I really think I could be good at it. And I really think that I could learn a lot. Help me a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, feeling like there's some confidence that's growing, you know, that you found yourself a little bit along the way and and then you're willing to put yourself out there because there's some strength and courage and then you're getting you know good learning and and you're having some success and you're trying new things and you're seeing you can do that and you're really building strength and seeing how you know all of these things do kind of come together you know I I'm a big believer in you have to be in action you know that yeah. Yeah. You will learn by being in action. And it might not even be that important what you're doing. It's that yeah. you're out there doing something because right. that's one of the ways that you learn. So it sounds like you're learning a lot. You're growing, finding yourself, building some courage and strength and having you know very good experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. I think that as far as you know, if, if you just take the leap into something... A lot of times, again, the way that our society is set up that, you know, okay, you've got to have all the tools and all everything all prepared in order to leap in. Really, if you feel great about it, you want to give it a try, leap in. You don't have to have everything all perfected to launch into an opportunity or something that you feel really passionate about because the learning that you, that I, Personally, the learning that I gained along the way or nothing that I could have have learned from a book or a video or instructionally. That mm-hmm. hands-on um, experience I've found to be the best teacher. Totally agree. So tell me, I think if I am correct here, your next big jump is, in, is into Dress for Success. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you took that leap. So I was, again, part of how everything ties together, right? So I was, by this time in my career, I was uh, had a national position with a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And I was in Indianapolis on an acquisition. 
that was going to take a couple of months. So I had a temporary apartment there and wanted to find somewhere to volunteer and give back. I wound up going to... um, There was an ad again. This is when we still all read the paper. There was an ad in the paper for volunteers at the new Dress for Success Indianapolis. And I thought, you know, this has been a really important part of my career. I was in a male-dominated field. And I really wanted to be able to help other women. And went in, did the volunteer training. And the first woman that I was partnered with said to me, I'm escaping an abusive relationship. I'm living in a shelter right now. I'm, my kids are with uh, job and family services. I've got an interview on Friday and I'm going to make it work. And it just was like, boom, right? Like I had this mm. moment of, wow, right? Mm-hmm. Here's this here's this woman really courageous telling me who she just met like an hour ago. And I embraced her mm. and I said, you're not the only one that has gone through this. You are not mm-hmm. alone. I've mm. been there. And I believe in you. You're going to do great. And I gave her a hug and gave her my telephone number. And I left there and uh, got in touch with Dress for Success Worldwide and Mm. said, I don't know how I can be involved or what I can do to help, but here's my number and information and and let me know. So I I started doing some work with with them on on a national basis as a volunteer. And then I was transferred to Columbus in uh, 19th. Sorry, but my uh, I've got to wipe my tears here a minute. Um, That's okay. I was transferred to Columbus in um, 1998 and with Associated States, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a dress for success here. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, somebody needs to start a dress for success. There needs to be a, a, an, um, a place here for women to get back to work, to help them with clothes and career tools and all those things. And I wound up, obviously, yeah, it was several years later, people kept saying to me, you need to do it. You need to do it. So I uh, we launched Dress for Success here and. In 2007, which was several years later after of me saying, you know, come along with us. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's where that started, mm-hmm. and uh, was just um, an incredible, incredible opportunity to work with women and our community to really put the power of women's empowerment up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really amazing. You know, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I see the emotion in just recalling that story, which you've probably recalled countless amounts of time, talked about publicly, right? Shared with many, and it's still very moving. And, and for good reason, you know, because those are the moments where you can really see how you can make a difference in somebody's life. And to have somebody that sees you, understands you, believes in you, can help you, you know, boy, that's pretty powerful. And then to go on and actually make it your work for as many years as you did, you know, with Dress for Success and very, very successfully here in Columbus, I know, you know, it's grown to be, you know, quite a powerhouse 
you know, it's just a great story. It's really great to hear how you use that experience, which could have certainly been used in many other ways, many of them not really helpful and not serving. I mean, a lot of people that end up in traumatic situations, like we talked about earlier, might never get out of it, but you used it and, you know, have used it, continue to use it. And you use the word empowerment, which is something I noticed in, is in your title. Um, you are now <laughs> the chief empowerment officer of social ventures. I love the change in language there um, as CEO. Talk a little bit about this new role that you started in just this year. Well, it's a huge transition, right? And and as we've been talking about throughout, I believe that as we evolve, we have choices. And the choices are whether to stay comfortable or to whether to explore some more when we start when that stirring starts feeling, right? And uh, with Dress for Success, we were able to create just an incredible movement here for women. And I knew at a certain time that it was time for me to start thinking about passing the baton because I wanted the organization to always have fresh vision um, for the women of our community. And once you're once you hit a certain spot in nonprofit, right, after building something, I think it's like 70% of nonprofits fail within the first three years. So once you're able to gain that momentum, a lot of times nonprofit leaders will stay in a situation, and all leaders will stay in a situation that's safe um, because they're comfortable there. They know they've achieved that, they know that. Um, that's something that that will continue to move forward. And I have been always just a little bit more of an adventurer and wanted also for the next phase for dress to come. And so when I decided to pass the baton, people said, are you crazy? Like you worked really hard to build this. Why would you pass the baton now? And I said, because it's, the best thing for the women of our community. And it's the best thing for me to grow and evolve. So in that, when I started evolving, I'm over 50. And evolving over 50 is tough. It's really tough. It's not for sissies. And that evolution of who am I and what do I want to do next is tough. It really takes a lot of inflection and wanting to move forward in a new way. So in my different conversations, what I love about Social Ventures that was launched several years ago is that it's really rooted in a lot of the things that I've done in my, in my past um, mm-hmm. in helping to bring together you know, social responsibility and sustainable profit. So in this role, one of the calls to action was to really take the organization to a 2.0. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, it's all about the people, right? Mm-hmm. So we have these incredible people in our community who are leading purpose-driven businesses that are also addressing social problems in our community. And how do we help them be stronger so their impact is deeper? And that they are able to have, you know, that independent revenue stream 
that ensures that they are also doing good and they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Our our society, for whatever reason, makes it an either or, mm-hmm. right? You're either going to be a do-gooder and you're going to, you know, be that please, sir, can I have some more? Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be the person who's, you know, n- knocking the doors down. So I believe that there's a completely um, more conscious consumer and um, more conscious way to move forward so that we're doing good and doing well. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited about leading the organization into that next chapter. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think the organization... Um, maybe much like Dress for Success, um, was ready for a new leader and somebody to kind of, you know, bring fresh ideas and kind of take it to another level. Somebody with, you know, renewed energy. And and that's not to say anything about prior leadership. Obviously, you were the prior leadership. But sometimes it's nice to just kind of, you know, um, bring in somebody new and really build on the success that others have had. And uh, I see the work that Social Ventures is doing here in our community, and I have a lot of confidence in you that it'll continue to grow and, and serve other people. It seems to be a natural fit for you. I am curious, just because you mentioned it, you know, making these kinds of changes uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, at kind of your age, you know, yeah. over 50 yeah, these are you know I'm 46 and been making changes too, and it is really difficult. It's mm-hmm. funny that it's so difficult. In many ways, it should be easier. We've yeah. we've we've lived longer. We've made changes. We yeah. have more resources, more yeah. um, strength and courage and and belief. You know, self love. But yet, really, really difficult, and and so much so that most people don't do it. Mm-hmm. Most people just end up kind of saying, "Eh, I'm too old to do that." You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change now. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I've seen that kind of backfire, um, yeah. where maybe then life decides you you need to change and changes right. it for right. you, right? right? Maybe you could just expand a little bit on that. You know, as we start to kind of wrap up, talk a little bit about that change and and maybe how you've been able to force yourself to do it. Um, with some success. Sure. And, and honestly, for me, it was, I have this, I, I have this continual stirring. I like wake up with this ball of energy in my stomach, which I actually thought everybody had until a few years ago when I brought it up and people were like, no, we don't have that. So I have always had this drive of you know, exploring and, and wanting to be able to be challenged. I think that that's, that's the word, right? It's like I really love a challenge and and pushing myself to to find what that challenge is. But to your point, right? I when I decided to to transition um, from a career of you know twelve years, it was really daunting, and a lot of the questions of, well, you know, why 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 didn't you just stay comfortable? And are you know this is going to be hard for you? And why don't you just stay in a comfortable place? And I, you know, this is why I've stayed at X Y Z company for thirty five years because I know that it's safe. And through the process, it was just 
really, I had a lot of great exploratory conversations. And every day, uh, and I'm coaching a couple other people, women specifically, who are going through this as well now. But every day, I had an agenda to you know, reach out to three new people that were in my network, but to have those conversations and just exploring, you know, you know me better than a lot of people. Where do you think that I might add value and could really also be challenged? And it was a continual kind of daily meditation of this is the right thing. There was never a time when I passed the baton at Dress for Success and as I was going through this whole last kind of growing phase, there was never a time that I thought to myself, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. It was always, okay, you know, I was really enthusiastic. There were times, of course, there were great, great challenge and, you know, frustration of this is uncomfortable. But I always knew that there was going to be something where our worlds collided Mm -hmm. in a really great way. And when you're intentional about that, I think that's the the most important thing for me and what I communicate with people is the more authentic you are and the more you can really say, this is what I love. This is where I feel I really add value. And these these are places where I'm still growing. It surprises people when you're that honest. And there also gives them the permission to be honest as well. Yeah, really great advice. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that and everything that you've shared today on the podcast. I think there's a lot of really very relatable um, experience here that I could see how you can be coaching people quite successfully you know, um, you're having a, an experience that many are having and it can be difficult and you're doing it pretty gracefully with, with a lot of success. So I commend you and appreciate you sharing. And maybe you want to just uh, wrap up with any final thoughts for, for the audience or where people might find you. We can certainly include all that in the notes as well. Oh, sure. I would just say... Um, My philosophy really is when you change the way that you look at things, right? The things that you look at change. And so if you give yourself the opportunity to look at things from a different perspective, then you learn so much about yourself and about the world around you. And there's no judgment there, right? It's just that continual growing. And I, I love people and believe that together we can change the world for the greater good. So um, I'm on LinkedIn, on social media, more than happy to connect, connect with people and really grateful for the opportunity, Brad, and grateful for the work that you do and your honesty and vulnerability. Really, it's a gift. So thank you. Well, thanks, Vicki. I appreciate you saying that and um, appreciate what you're doing in the world. And um, yeah, thanks for taking time to join me today on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by subscribing.